0: Let's pray as we come to the Word this morning. Heavenly Father, it is a great joy that we celebrate once again this morning that we are free indeed because of your grace, because of your love, and because of the cross. As we come to your Word this morning, Holy Spirit, we ask that you would once again move in our hearts, move in our lives. Lord, would you transform us? Ever so slightly, ever so more into your likeness as we approach your throne, as we come into your presence, as we open your word. Amen. This morning, we're bringing to our, a close our Heart Matters series. And as we do, I want to take some time to briefly reflect. Over the series, over the, some of the topics that we've covered, some of the, uh, the, 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 the significant heart matters that we've looked at um, before we come to our passage this morning and, and break down the passage in Romans 12. Uh, so if you've got your Bibles, open with me to Romans 12. That's where we'll be spending most of this morning. Uh, but before we do, because Romans 12 does summarise in a lot of ways where we've been this series. I'd like to invite Lois to come and, and, and read through that passage in, in Romans chapter 12. Uh, we're going to look at the whole chapter uh, this morning from verse 1 to 21. Thanks, Lois. Romans chapter
1: 12. Therefore, I urge you, brothers and sisters, in view of God's mercy, to offer your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy holy and pleasing to god this is your true and proper worship do not conform to the pattern of this world but be transformed by the renewing of your mind then you will be able to test and approve what god's will is his good pleasing and perfect will for by the grace given me i say to every one of you do not think of yourself more highly than you ought If your gift is prophesying, then prophesy in accordance with your faith. If it is serving, then serve. If it is teaching, then teach. If it is to encourage, then give encouragement. If it is giving, then give generously. If it is to lead, do it diligently. If it is to show mercy, do it cheerfully love must be sincere. Hate what is evil, cling to what is good. Be devoted to one another in love. Honour one another above yourselves. Never be lacking in zeal, but keep your spiritual fervor, serving the Lord. Be joyful in hope, patient in affliction, faithful in prayer. Share with the Lord's people who are in need. Practice hospitality. Bless those who persecute you. Bless and do not curse. Rejoice with those who rejoice. Mourn with those who mourn. Live in harmony with one another. Do not be proud, but be willing to associate with people of low position. Do not be conceited. Do not repay anyone evil for evil. Give him something to drink. In doing this, you will heap burning coals on his head. Do not be overcome by evil, but overcome evil with good.
0: Thank you, Lois. As we started our series, we looked at matters starting with examining our hearts, testing our reactions and our perceptions to see where our priorities are, are how much of, of our priorities and our instincts dictate how we engage with god we ask the question whether or not we are really seeking god's heart above our own or whether we are expecting god to follow our heart the desire that we had was to seek god's heart and to pursue god's ways then we, we spent some time unpacking God's heart, his heart for justice. And we looked at passages like Isaiah thirty eighteen, where the prophet declares that God waits patiently to be gracious to us because he is a God of justice. We looked at his heart for grace and his desire that all would be redeemed and all would come to, to salvation through repentance and, and the cross. We also looked at what it means To fear God, not so much as being afraid of God, but out of reverence, acknowledging who God is, that he is God and and we are not. It was this idea that we, we want to fear misrepresenting the person and the character and the heart of God. That's what it means to fear God. Then over the last few weeks, we've been unpacking Jesus' new commandment to his disciples to love one another. By this, all men will know that we are his disciples. So this morning, we're going to dig in to Romans chapter 12 and especially the latter part of that chapter where Paul instructs the Christians in Rome to let their love be genuine. And he also goes on to unpack for us what that looks like. But to get there, we, we need to build on these foundational aspects of Roman, Romans chapter 12. And uh, there, there are two foundational segments that build upon one another that lead us to be able to unpack and understand the end of the chapter. So we start in verses 1 and 2. And Paul starts by telling us in all things where our heart needs to be focused, what really matters matters. Is not what the world is doing, but how God is able to transform our lives. What really matters is how we are worshipping God. It's easy to get fixated on all that's wrong in the world around us, the problems with other people, governments, and corporations, to see the ways their actions and motives don't honor God. But their attitudes and actions are largely, not necessarily completely, out of our control and influence. Paul here in verse 1 and 2 reflects the same kind of intent that Jesus in his Sermon on the Mount, where he tells us not to judge others, but instead to deal with the flaws and faults firstly in our own lives, to deal with the log in our eyes, as Jesus says, before the speck in our brothers. Here, Paul's encouragement is to present our bodies, our lives, our whole self as a living sacrifice, as a living act of worship. Not out of duty or obligation, but with the desire to bring glory to God. He goes on to show how, how to do this, by not conforming to the ways and the thinking and the attitudes and the reactions of the world, but to be set apart, to allow the work of the Holy Spirit to transform us in our minds, in our attitudes, in our perceptions, transforming them from sinful, broken, worldly ways into God's ways, from reflecting the desires of self to reflecting the desires of God's heart. By doing this, he says that we will know better how to live and how to love in a world that is ravaged by sinfulness. In a world full of lost people, people that God desperately desires would know him, would know his love and would find forgiveness for their sins through repentance. This first foundation for living with a genuine love is starting with personal transformation. The second foundation for living with genuine love is life in the body. And Paul moves on to talk about what it is like to function as the body of Christ, to live as the family of God. Verse 4, For as in one body we have many members, and many, many members do not have all the same function. We are not the same. We don't perform the same tasks within the body. God has created us with different personalities, different characters, different different strengths and weaknesses, different abilities. And on top of that, the Holy Spirit has gifted us, anointed us to fulfill particular functions within the body. That is a blessed thing, a, a wonderful thing about the diversity of the body of Christ verse 6 Paul continues having gifts that differ according to the grace given to us let us use them if prophecy in proportion to our faith if serving in our serving if the one who teaches in in his teaching the one who exhorts in his exhortation the one who contributes in generosity the one who leads with zeal the one who does acts of mercy with cheerfulness so we are not the same The Spirit has not gifted us all the same. Therefore, we should not all presume to be the same, to fulfill all the same functions as one another. Instead, we should seek and find how God has gifted us, how he has shaped us to serve and to participate in his kingdom. We should not expect to serve in the same ways. Some have the gifts of giving. Some have the gift of encouragement. All these things uh, are things that everyone can do. Everyone can encourage. Everyone can give. But where there is an anointing of the Spirit, where there is a gift of the Spirit, there is an ability to do that in an abundance. We all know those who have the gift of hospitality. And hospitality is just something that they are able to be generous in that they have great joy in and uh, that, that God works through them in that. We, we see those who have the gift of giving and for them it is nothing to give generously and abundantly. Those who are encouragers to come alongside and encourage, to lift up, to build up and they seem to do it effortlessly. This is what we mean by the gifts of the Spirit, the enabling of the Spirit. It magnifies a person's ability and the effectiveness beyond what we would ordinarily be able to do. There's a a longer list of, of some of these gifts of the Spirit in 1 Corinthians 12, and I encourage you to take some time to go and read through this, prayerfully read through this, and say, God, how have you shaped me? How have you led me and created me and gifted me to work within your body, within your family? There's one other that that Paul mentions here that is worth noting, and that is the gift of teaching. Again, it is something that all of us can do to some extent as as we all go and share our faith, as we, we give testimony of the work of God in our lives, not just in bringing us to a point of salvation, but testifying to the work of God, his faithfulness each week. This morning we've heard of God's faithfulness in Roger's life, in in providing that medical attention and and providing some, some wisdom and understanding about what he had been wrestling with and battling with for a long time. There is testimony to God's goodness and God's love and God's hand upon this man's life. But teaching is a gift that, as we look through the Bible, is something that is singled out with a weighty responsibility. James, Jesus' half brother, cautions this regarding uh, teaching in, in James chapter three, verse one. James says, Not many of you should become teachers, my brother, my brothers. For you know that we who teach will be judged with a greater strictness. We're going to see later on how this comes to bear in, in more of what, what Paul says later on. But for now, let us understand this second foundational aspect of living in the body. Pursuing God's heart. That we would serve abundantly within our giftedness. That we would pursue God and the work of His Holy Spirit through us, as Paul says in Ephesians 3, 19, 20 who is able to do immeasurably more than we can ask or imagine according to His power, not our ability, His power that is at work within us. Just think about that for a minute. When we function as the body of Christ, according to the work of the Spirit, the gifting of the Spirit, the gifts of His grace within us, God, the Father, is able to do immeasurably more than you can ask or imagine according to His power, His will that is at work within us. Immeasurably more than you can ask or imagine. How much can you imagine? Could you imagine a hundred people gathered, worshipping and giving glory to God? Could you imagine... A hundred homeless people coming and finding food, finding shelter. Could you imagine a hundred broken marriages being restored? Sometimes a hundred seems small, but when when we break it down, we sort of think, well, what's realistic? Realistically, what would we imagine? 50, 20, 10, 10 would be amazing wouldn't it? I could could see, I could imagine 10, I could ask God that in the next 12 months we would see 10 marriages through the through the relationships that we have here, the work that God is doing in and through the body of Christ here in Bowen Baptist Church, that 10 marriages would find redemption and healing. Wouldn't that be incredible? Wouldn't that be something to celebrate? But Ephesians three nineteen and 20 says that God is able to do immeasurably more. What we see and what we can understand, what we can comprehend when, when we give ourselves to God, when we allow Him to work within the body, when we trust in His power at work within us, He does immeasurably more than we could ask or imagine. So these are the foundations that That Paul gives us as we function within our spiritual gifts, we are living and working together through God's power at work within us. As we pursue God's heart and God's ways, our focus is firstly on on getting our relationship with God right. Seeking and finding the flaws and the faults in in our lives. As David says in Psalm 139, Search me, O God, and see if there is any offensive way, and lead me in your ways everlasting. And as we pursue God's heart, finally Paul paints this picture for us of how to live and how to engage in a world that is shaped by the brokenness brought on by sin. This is what Paul says, let love be genuine. Abhor what is evil, hold fast to what is good, love one another with brotherly affection, outdo one another in showing honour. It's so easy to be critical and judgmental of one another, isn't it? To find the fault and find the flaws. Paul says, don't get caught in that trap. Outdo one another in showing honor, in building one another up, encouraging one another in our giftedness. Do not be slothful in zeal. Do not be lacking in zeal, enthusiasm. Instead, Paul says, be, be fervent in the spirit. Serve. This is important. Not me not your family, not yourself. Don't serve the church. Serve the Lord. Serve the Lord. We're not here to make Bowen Baptist Church great because we can't do that. We're not about that. We are about serving the Lord. We're about glorifying God's kingdom, seeing God's kingdom in all of its glory and all of its majesty. Paul's encouragement here is that in light of all that might distract us and divide us, to remain united and focused on what matters most, God's love and God's ways. To do this, he tells us to abhor what is evil and the temptation that we have is to look outside of ourselves, to focus on the evil around us, the evil in in others that we see, the evil in the world, the evil in our politicians and our corporations and our governments, the evil in, in secular groups within our society. But that's not what Paul is saying. Because remember right back at the beginning of this chapter, be transformed by the renewing of your mind. And just before this, let love be genuine. Your love be genuine. And then just after this, he says, hold fast to what is good. These are instructions that Paul is giving for us that we would confront the evil temptations, the, the, the sinfulness within our lives. Let our love be genuine. Abhor the evil temptations that, that, that torment us, that we wrestle with within the, our flesh. Hold fast to one another and love what is good. Paul finishes at verse 11. The encouragement is to lavish, I love this word lavish, lavish love on one another and you remember how I describe lavish Um, favorite snack of mine is a peanut butter and jam sandwich I can't have it as often as I can't indulge in it as often as I'd like it brings on terrible heartburn and reflux but the only way I can see to make a decent PB&J is equal portions bread jam and peanut butter And it is lavished on there, it is caked on thick. That's what it means to lavish, cake it on thick. It's like when you get the Christmas cake, you know, with the white icing and the frosting and it is thick, lavish it upon it. And so Paul is saying, I need you to lavish this love upon one another and honour upon one another. Following this, Paul jumps into a series of short reminders that are essential for keeping an even keel in life's turbulent seas. He says, rejoice in hope. This is a reminder that our hope is secured. It is fixed. Our hope is immovable and unchanging. There are no events, no powers, nothing that can change or take away the hope that we have in Jesus It's important to hear, to to also remember that our hope in Jesus is not like the hope that we see reflected in worldly events and, and, and within our society. See, when we hear that word hope spoken in a worldly context, in an extra biblical context, outside of the Bible context, it is this vain expectation of what we hope would happen, what we would like to happen, while also understanding that it is unlikely, to happen the way we want it to. Let me give you some examples. Ever heard the phrase, I hope I'm, I'm going to win the lottery this week. Now think about where you've heard that, who might have said that. What's their actual expectation? Do they actually believe that they're going to win the lottery? No. So, so their statement of hope is for a desired outcome That they expect will not happen. A desired outcome that they will expect will not happen. That is the complete opposite for the way that the Bible uses the word hope. Especially when it talks about our hope in Jesus. Our hope is in the certainty of the things unseen. Paul says rejoice in hope our hope is in the resurrection embodied in the resurrection it is evidence for us it is secured for us in the resurrection our hope is demonstrated to us that that our sins have been paid for in full in the resurrection our hope is in christ and for that there is nothing No government, no power, no person, no body that can take that, can steal that away from us. There's no one who can change that outcome. Our hope is secure, immovable, unchangeable, eternal. Paul says rejoice in that hope. Then he says be patient in tribulation. Rejoice in hope. Be patient in tribulation. There's been much talk about end times. It seems to me that this is a discussion that is often rumbling in the background. As, as I've lived my life, uh, I have constantly heard it and seen it. And as I reflect on, on worldly events throughout my years, the decades that I've been alive, and I reflect on the, the Word of God, what I see is indeed we are in end times We have been since the ascension of Christ and we will be until he returns. The truth is that the Bible does not press us to run away or hide at the mere possibility of persecution or tribulation. Instead, God has sought to prepare us for the inevitable trials that will come as a result of following him. The hardships that we will endure for the sake of the gospel, for the sake of the lost. As the world declines further into sinful depravity and away from God, we are called to be his image bearers, the bastions of God's love. To present to a world gripped in slavery to sin, shadowed from the glory and majesty of God. He has entrusted us in our lives to be beacons of hope and mercy and joy to a world that is lost. So Paul says, do not fear tribulation. Instead, rejoice in your hope. Your eternity is secured. And when, not if, when tribulations come, be patient. Be patient. I can tell you that's not going to be easy. And, and Paul assumes this, he knows that, that the response to that encouragement is, but Paul, that is going to be really hard. How am I supposed to be patient in the middle of tribulation when oh, I'm getting these unfair accusations, when people are attacking me for, for doing the right thing, the godly thing? So Paul says, be constant in prayer. For me, prayer is my lifeline. Prayer is my safe harbour, my refuge. Because when I can't, God can. When I don't know what or how or why, God does. In prayer, I find peace. In prayer, I am reminded of my hope. In prayer, I am able to surrender my situation, my fears and my anxieties and, and hand them over to a God who is able A God who is victorious. Brothers and sisters, be constant in prayer. But do not be lacking in living out and putting into action your faith. Paul says in verse 13, contribute to the needs of the saints and seek to show hospitality. He's he's coming back and he returns to this theme over and over again, love one another, love one another, care for one another. And then he goes on and he says, bless those who persecute you, bless them and do not curse them. In verses 15 and 16 we have another pairing, this time again we are encouraged to love one another through life's joys and trials, but we are also warned not to make ourselves ourselves a privileged position, a comfortable position, but to remain humble, servant-hearted Christ followers. Paul says, rejoice with those who rejoice. Weep with those who weep. Live in harmony with one another. Do not be haughty. Do not be proud, but associate with the lowly. Never be wise in your own sight. Earlier, we, we talked about The gift of teaching and and James's words that not many of us should presume to be teachers or or we shouldn't actively pursue that because with that comes a a weighty responsibility. And here Paul says, never be wise in your own sight. I want want us to consider this morning these proverbs and, and a couple of verses from Ecclesiastes. Consider them in light of how today's society engages with one another. Back when I was doing my teaching studies, we talked about this uh, form of discussion called Socratic dialogue. And it's about a way of increasing knowledge by, by, by just sharing understanding and, and perceptions and views. But when there's no filter on them, when there's no test for truth, when there's, there's no objective foundation underpinning it, it leads us into trouble. As I've read through some of these over the last few months and, and couple of years, especially, I'm just struck in awe at the wisdom of God and how it transcends the ages. Consider how we engage on social media and mass media. Proverbs 10 verse 19. When words are many, transgression is not lacking but whoever restrains his lips is prudent. Proverbs 18.2 A fool takes no pleasure in understanding, but only in expressing his opinion. Could that be the byline for Facebook? For Instagram and all of these other platforms? It's a, a, a way that we're not actually seeking understanding, but just wanting to share our opinion. Proverbs twenty nine twenty. Do you see a man who is hasty in his words? There is more hope for a fool in him. Ecclesiastes five two. Be not rash with your mouth, nor let your heart be hasty to utter a word before God, for God is in heaven and you are on earth. Therefore, let your words be few. The words uh, Ecclesiastes nine seventeen. The words of the wise heard in quiet. Better than the shouting of a ruler among fools. Never be wise in your own eyes. Always remain humble, remembering that there is so much that God sees and God knows that we could never comprehend. Paul finishes out this chapter with a final encouragement on how we should respond when people do evil to us there is no ifs or buts or confusion with these words paul's words here are very clear that we shouldn't be found not in the ways of the world but in god's ways he says repay no one evil for evil but give thought to do what is honorable in the sight of all if possible, so far as it depends on you, live peaceably with all. Beloved, never avenge yourselves, but leave it to the wrath of God, for it is written, vengeance is mine, I will repay, says the Lord. That is hard. Speaking from personal experience, there have been times where others have hurt me and my family so deeply. I've wrestled with God on this Let me tell you, whenever you wrestle with God, it is a good thing to wrestle with God, but He will always triumph. He will always lead you in His ways of righteousness. And He showed me that it is good to desire God's grace and mercy for those who do evil to you. Trusting that justice and judgment ultimately lie in God's hand. And no matter how hard you are hurting, you can know that God is hurting infinitely more. In verse 20 and 21, Paul finishes, To the contrary, if your enemy is hungry, feed him. If he is thirsty, give him something to drink. For doing so, you will be heaping burning coals on his head. Do not overcome; be overcome by evil, but overcome evil with good. There are are so many aspects to this list that we have from verse 9 to, to 21 that are contrary to our instincts. When people hurt us, our instinct is to hurt them back. We want them to feel the pain that we are feeling and we have been feeling. Instead, Paul encourages us in a different way. By focusing on love, we are focusing on God's ways. By pursuing patience in persecution instead of going in for a fight, we are encouraged to wait upon God. Because ultimately it's God's plans and God's ways that lead us to redemption. Our hope, our future is not in the here and now, but in the resurrection. Something that no one here on earth can touch or change or take away. We might ask why we should pursue these things in the list that Paul has given us. Why, why should we be kind to those who hurt us and persecute us and do all sorts of evil to us? And the simple answer is God's heart is that none should perish and that all should come through repentance to him. That all should know salvation and redemption. So those that are, are hurting us, and lashing out at us, God's heart, he Says, I want them to know my love. I want them to see my grace. And when we allow the bitterness of self to get in the way, we, we create an obstacle to the gospel. As we seek God's heart and God's ways, as we pursue God's love, It impacts the way we live our life. It it changes the way we relate to one another and the world around us. It transforms the way we see people and events, the way we respond to situations, the way we respond to how people treat us, talk to us and even talk about us. Let us be transformed by the renewing of our mind. Let us rejoice in hope, be patient in tribulation, be constant in prayer, and let our love be genuine. Let's pray. Almighty God, gracious Heavenly Father, we thank you that you are over all things, above all things, and sovereign in all things. This morning, Lord, there are so many things in our lives that we wrestle with, that we battle with, that, Lord, that that uh, break our hearts, that cut us deeply, that hurt us, Lord. And so often we, we want to lash out, we want to fight back. And our heart this morning, Lord, our desire this morning is that we would know your will, know your ways, know your heart in these times and these matters, Lord, that that we may lament and grieve before you. But Lord, that we will be able to surrender to your heart and your ways. Lord, lead us, we pray. Amen.